Greetings, patriots, friends, sweet brethren of the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Well, it's my pleasure and honor to talk to you again about that grand old flag. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you destined a special man by the name of Francis Scott Key to write a poem that would eventually become our great national anthem. Thank you for this man. Thank you for inspiring him with the passion and the fortitude to write such beautiful lyrics. We bless him and we thank you for him. And we thank you that you have given us this nation, this great flag that represents the land of the free and the home of the brave. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine being Francis Scott Key for just a moment and witnessing old glory still waving in the wind on the morning of September 14th, 1814. The sight of that flag would have made my heart leap with joy. You see, it was a Kairos moment, what we call an opportune time, a moment in history that changes the future. September 13th, was a rainy day as the battle raged on from Fort McHenry in Baltimore. But in the early morning hours of September 14th, the rain had stopped and the sun began to rise. And in the dawn's early light, Francis Scott Key saw the American flag still flying over the fort, announcing an American victory. He was the right man for the right time a poet, someone who could easily pen his thoughts in dramatic fashion. He had witnessed the drama of rockets being shelled down upon the fort, and he witnessed the sunrise give way to the symbol of victory. It was his destiny to provide a picture, a glimpse in time, as to the events that occurred so that all future Americans would have that same picture in their mind as well. The rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave. He had to be jubilant, ecstatic, seeing the flag still flying high over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Destiny. It was his destiny to write the words that we would 217 years later continue to proclaim about our beloved nation, land of the free and home of the brave. So now, I'm prepared to tell you the backstory that I promised last week. The Star-Spangled Banner's history starts not with Francis Scott Key, but a year earlier with Major George Armstead, the commander of Fort McHenry. Knowing that his fort was likely a British target, Armstead told the commander of Baltimore Defenses in July 1813 that he needed a flag, a big one. He said, 
We, sir, are ready at Fort McHenry to defend Baltimore against invading by the enemy. Except that we have no visible ensign to display over the star fort. And it is my desire to have a flag so large that the British will have no difficulty in seeing it from a distance. Armstead soon hired a 29-year-old widow and professional flag maker, Mary Young Pickersgill of Baltimore, Maryland, to make a garrison flag measuring 30 by 42 feet with 15 stars and 15 stripes, each star and stripe representing a state. A large flag, but one not unusual for the time. Over the next six weeks, Mary, her daughter, three of Mary's nieces, a 13-year-old indentured servant, and possibly Mary's mother, Rebecca Young, worked 10-hour days sewing the flag using 300 yards of English wool bunting. They made the stars, each measuring two feet in diameter, from cotton, a luxury item at the time. Initially, they worked for Mary's home, now a private museum known as the Flag House. But as their work progressed, they needed more room and had to move to Claggett's Brewery across the street. On August 19, 1813, the flag was delivered to Fort McHenry. For making the Star-Spangled Banner, Mary was paid $405.90. She received another $168.54 for sewing a smaller 17-by-25-foot storm flag, likely using the same design. It was this storm flag, not the garrison flag, now known as the Star-Spangled Banner, which actually flew during the battle. The garrison flag, according to eyewitness accounts, wasn't raised until that morning. Armistead remained in command of Fort McHenry for the rest of his life. Historians are now not sure how the Armistead family came into possession of the flag, but upon Armistead's death in 1818, his wife, Louisa, inherited it. It is she who is thought to have sewed the red upside-down V on the flag, beginning the stitches for the letter A. She is also thought to have begun the tradition of giving pieces of the flag away to honor her husband's memory as well as the memories of the soldiers who defended the fort under his command. And I have to say this, I just find that the most bizarre thing, to be cutting pieces of the flag and giving them away as, as a memento. But when Louisa died in 1861, she passed the flag down to her daughter, Georgiana Armstead Appleton, over the legal objections of their son, Georgiana was the only child born at the fort, and she was named for her father. Louisa wanted Georgiana to have it. In 1873, Georgiana loaned the flag to George Preble, a flag historian who until that time had thought the flag was lost. That same year, Preble had the first known photograph of it taken at the Boston Navy Yard 
and exhibited it at the New England Historic Genealog Genealogical Society, where he stored it until 1876. While the Star-Spangled Banner was in Preble's care, Georgiana allowed him to give away pieces of the flag as he saw fit. <laughs> Georgiana herself had given away cuttings of the flag to other Armistead descendants as well as family friends. She once noted, quote, Had we given all that we have been importuned for, little would be left to show. I dare say she was certainly correct about that. This family tradition continued through 1880, with Armstead's grandson giving away the last documented piece. Several of these cuttings from the Star Spangled Banner have been located over the years, including about a dozen that are owned by the American History Museum. We're aware of at least a dozen more that exist in other museum, museums and private collections, said Kendrick. But a missing 15th star has never been found. There's a legend that the star was buried with one of the soldiers from Fort McHenry. Another legend says that it was given to Abraham Lincoln. But no real evidence has surfaced to support these stories. And the true fate of the star remains one of the Smithsonian's great unsolved mysteries. Now, if one of my listeners out there, if you happen to have that 15th star, you better give it up to the Smithsonian. After Georgiana's death, the flag passed to Eben Appleton, Armstead's grandson, who loaned it to the city of Baltimore for the 1880 sesquicentennial celebration. It then remained in a safe deposit vault in New York City until Appleton loaned it to the Smithsonian in 1907. Five years later, he made the gift permanent, saying he wanted it to belong to, quote, to the institution in the country where it could be conveniently seen by the public and where it would be well cared for, end quote. When the flag arrived at the Smithsonian, it was smaller, 30 by 34 feet, damaged from years of use at the fort and from pieces being removed at souvenirs. And again, I, I honestly, I just can't fathom that, <laughs> that people were cutting the flag and giving these pieces away. It just, I don't know. I guess I just have so much reverence for the flag and that particular flag, I can't imagine doing that. But anyway, recognizing its need for repair, the Smithsonian hired Amelia Fowler, an embroidery teacher and well-known flag preserver in 1914 to replace the canvas backing that had been added in 1873. Having worked on historic flags for the United States Naval Academy, Fowler had patented a method of supporting fragile flags with a linen backing that required a honeycomb pattern of stitches. 
With the help of 10 needlewomen, Fowler spent eight weeks on the flag, receiving $1,243 for the materials and work. You know, I look back to the price that um, was paid to the other woman, and can you imagine how hard these women worked to initially make the garrison flag, which was the large flag, and to be paid so little for all that work. For the next 50 years, with the exception of a brief move during World War II, the Star-Spangled Banner was displayed in what is now the Arts and Industries Building. Because of the flag's size and the dimensions of the glass case it was displayed in, the public never saw the entire flag while it was housed in this location. That changed after architects designed the new National Museum of History and Technology, which is now the National Museum of American History, with space to allow the flag to hang. So that's the backstory about that great star-spangled banner flag. Now I have some other bits of history to share with you about the flag that I think you'll find interesting. The first time the American flag was flown overseas on a foreign fort was in Libya over Fort Dern on the shores of Tripoli in 1805. In 1909, Robert Perry placed an American flag sewn by his wife at the North Pole. He also left pieces of another flag along the way. It is the only time a person has been honored for cutting the flag. In 1963, Barry Bishop placed the American flag on the top of Mount Everest. In July of 1969, and I certainly remember this, I bet most of you do, the American flag was flown in space when Neil Armstrong placed it on the moon. Flags were placed on the lunar surface on each of six manned landings during the Apollo program. Now we refer to any old flag as Old Glory, but that wasn't always the case. It started with a sea captain named William Driver, who nicknamed the flag on his ship Old Glory when he saw it flying on his ship's mast back in 1831. It was such a good nickname that it stuck for good. National tragedies are known for bringing our country together. According to Karen Burke of Walmart's Corporate Communications, their stores sold 115,000 flags on September 11, 2001, 9-11, compared to 6,400 flags in 2000. So between the year 2000 and 2001, they went from 6,400 flags being sold to 115,000 flags being sold. And in the following year, which would have been 2002, they sold a whopping 7.8 million U.S. flags, around triple the sales of the previous year. 
Now, there are six flags on the moon, but only five are standing. Over the course of many moon expeditions, six U.S. flags have been planted. The wind generated by the landing and takeoff of a shuttle, however, dislodged the original flag placed there by Neil Armstrong during the first ever moon landing. And during the opening sequence of the first season of Gilligan's Island, the American flag is filmed at half-staff. This was done to honor President Kennedy, who was assassinated the day the pilot episode was filmed. Now, I want to share, conclude by just sharing um, about displaying, important information about displaying the Stars and Stripes. And I also want to share a few locations where the U.S. flag is flown 24 hours a day, either by presidential proclamation or by law. So at Fort McHenry, National Monument and Historic Shrine, Baltimore, Maryland. At the Flag House Square, Baltimore, Maryland. The United States Marine Corps Memorial, Iwo Jima, Arlington, Virginia. On the green of the town of Lexington, Massachusetts, and you remember, if you listen to this program, you remember when I talked about the Black Robe Regiment and Reverend Jonas Clark on the Lexington. The White House, Washington, D.C., the United States Custom Ports of Entry, and the grounds of the National Memorial Arch in Valley Forge State Park, Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. So in those places, the U.S. flag is flown 20 four hours a day. Now, if you have a flag, what are the rules and regulations for displaying the stars and stripes? Well, the flag is usually displayed from sunrise to sunset. It should be raised very briskly, but lowered ceremoniously. In bad weather, inclement weather, the flag should not be flown. No other flag should be placed above our flag. So all other flags, like a POW-MIA flag, would be flying below our flag. The flag should be displayed daily and on all holidays, weather permitting, on or near the main administration buildings of all public institutions. It should also be displayed in or near every polling place on election days and in or near every schoolhouse during school days. When displayed flat against a wall or a window or in a vertical orientation, the union field of stars should be uppermost and to the left of the observer. An upside-down flag is usually a signal of distress. So if you see someone waving in the distance a flag upside down, it's probably because they're signaling distress, not a sign of protest. When the flag is raised or lowered as part of a ceremony, and as it passes by in parade, in a parade, maybe like a 4th of July parade, 
or Memorial Day Parade, or for review, everyone, except those in uniform, everyone should face the flag with their right hand over their heart, and men's hats should be off their head. The U.S. flag should never be dipped toward any person or object, nor should the flag ever touch anything beneath it. Flags can be burned if they become damaged or no longer um, be no longer able to be flown. The flag code strictly prohibits adding any markings or drawings to the flag. It also specifies that the stars and stripes should never be used on clothing, bedding, or decorations. Hmm. Now that's one rule we'll probably keep breaking because you and I both know you can buy all kinds of decorations for the 4th of July with the stars and stripes on it. Now, if you have a flag and it's flown at night, the flag should be illuminated. And my flag has a great LED light that illuminates automatically. And it really, it's, I love it. It's just, it's really sharp. And uh, also, I would encourage you, if you would like to purchase a flagpole, and I would, I'm encouraging you, go purchase a flagpole and a flag. Go to Uncommon, UncommonUSA.com. They have the best uh, flagpoles. Uh, they are fabulous. They're sturdy. I, you can get one for $249. And that may seem a lot, but it's not. These are, these are excellently made flagpoles. Um, and just about, let me get back to burning a flag. It's, um, it's not really illegal to burn a flag. Um, the Flag Protection Act of 1968 made this illegal, but the act was revoked 20 years later. The Supreme Court ruled that the government couldn't limit citizens' First Amendment rights, making it legal to do whatever you want to do with a flag with no legal consequences. So, you know, that doesn't fly well with me. I'm sure it doesn't fly well with most people, but it is what it is. Um, Historically, enemies of the United States have burned or defaced our flag to make a statement That's why messing with the flag is a really, really bad idea, even if it's not illegal. To protect defaced flags from being used as a propaganda tool by enemies, a Green Beret veteran has designed an all-but-indestructible flag. Yes, it's made of Kevlar and Nomex, and the new materials ensure the flag can't be burned or or torn while still allowing it to fly naturally. So if you'd like to order one of those, you can go to Firebrand Flag and you will find your flag that cannot be burned or cut. Um, Using the American flag in burial ceremonies isn't just for veterans, by the way. While draping the flag over the coffins of government officials and veterans, is a, that's a common practice. It's not their exclusive right. Anyone 
can adopt this tradition if they like it. So I think um, I've given you a whole lot of information about the flag. Um, last week, I apologize, we had a technical error with the Johnny Cash song, That Old Ragged Flag. It, uh, we were able to fix it for the 11 p.m. program, but the 8 o'clock uh, people did not get to hear the song. We are going to run that song again this week. And I just want to say, uh, to conclude, you know, love your flag. Honor it. Hold it dear to your heart. So sit back and enjoy Johnny Cash. Of all the places we've ever been overseas, it don't matter where, you know, when we come back to this country, we love it a whole lot more than when we left and went somewhere else. I thank God for all the I thank God for all the freedoms we've got in this country. I cherish them and cherish them. Uh, even the rights to burn the flag, you know. I'm proud of those rights. But I tell you what, we've also got let me tell you something. Shh. We've also got a right to bear arms, and if you burn my flag, I'll shoot you. American. After such a trip overseas in 1975, I wrote this. I walked through a county courthouse square, and on a park bench, an old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole's kind of leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat, and I sat down. Is this the first time you've come to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. And it got powder burned the night Francis got key. set up watching it right in say can you see got a little rip in new orleans with packingham and jackson tugging at it seems it almost fell at the alamo beside the texas flag but she waved on though it got cut with a sword at chancellorsville got cut again at shiloh hill there was robert e lee Beauregard, and bragg and the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag on flanders field in world war one she took a bad hit from a Bertha gun. She turned blood red in World War II. She hung limp and low by the time that one was through. She was in Korea, Vietnam. She went where she was sent by her Uncle Sam. The Native American Indians, the blacks, the yellow, the white, all shed red blood for the stars and stripes. And in her own good land here, she's been abused. She's been burned, dishonored, denied, refused. And the very government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. And she's getting threadbare and she's wearing kind of thin. But she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Cause she's been through the fire before and she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning and we bring her down slowly every night. We don't let her touch the ground and we fold her upright. 
On second thought, I guess I do like to brag Cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag Again, love your flag, honor it, hold it dear to your heart. Next week, I have another special tidbit that you're really going to like about the flag. Well, this is Dawn Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. Thank you for praying for this ministry. Thank you for sowing uh, financially into this ministry. You can write me at Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85. Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. Please listen to this uh, podcast again if you need to at 11 p.m. It airs uh, a second time. And I look forward to being with you next week to talk about a special tidbit about the flag that I know you don't know about. So with that, I say shalom, shalom. Peace be unto you.